All right then. Um, well, good morning all. Um, as it's been said, my name is Michael, and um, we're continuing, well, we're ending our sermon series in Colossians at the moment. So for those of you who have just joined us today, um, we've been working on an eight-part sermon series in the book of Colossians, and today we're ending our series and looking at Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 to 18. Um, it's been really good for my family and I to have been here. We've really enjoyed being here at Cornerstone the last couple of months. Uh, we thank you for that. Uh, it's been great being able to uh, meet some new people and reacquaint ourselves with um, some old faces. And we've really enjoyed being here, so thank you for that. Um, yeah, come Tuesday, we'll be returning to Sydney and um, continuing our studies at Christ College. Uh, but now let us continue our sermon series. We're looking at Colossians uh, chapter 4, verse 2 to 18. Please have your Bibles open, and I'll pray for us now. Our Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you again for the opportunity my family and I have had to, to be here at Cornerstone these last couple of months. I uh, thank you for the series in Colossians uh, we've been able to explore together as a church. Uh, Father, we pray as we end this series that what we have heard and learned will continue to transform us and change us. Uh, Lord, we pray that you would continue to mature and grow us and shape us to be more and more like our Lord and Savior Jesus. Uh, Father, we pray today that as we come to your word, that you would teach us and grow us from your word. Uh, Father, I pray that as I preach now, um, be with me. Help me to speak clearly and help me to speak powerfully. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. A few years ago, I played futsal with a bunch of mates from high school, and we weren't a bad team, uh, but there was definitely one key player amongst us that when he was there, we played a lot better. Uh, he was our captain. Uh, he was the guy who rallied the troops. He pulled us up when we were slacking off, and he told us of ways we could improve during the halftime break. And uh, when he wasn't there, uh, we really felt his absence. Um, we didn't play as well. Without him playing, there was a higher chance of us losing. Um, and although I really liked when this guy played, uh, when he was in the field, he, was definitely a, he gave us a certain security. Um, I think that we became too reliant on him. Uh, it's never healthy for a team when they're relying on one or two key players and unable to function without them. It wasn't healthy for our team to be relying on him all the time. And I think we can fall into this trap at church. I, I have known of some churches where the minister does a lot of the work. And when that minister leaves, the church really feels it. And the minister has become the superstar. He's a great minister as long as he's there. Uh, if he's not there, then the church can be left lost and confused and unsure what to do without him. I remember Campbell once telling me, the role of a minister is to work himself out of a job. The role of a minister is to work himself out of a job. This means that the minister doesn't do all the work himself, but he equips others that can do the work, and those whom he equips will equip more still that can help in the work. Um, there is no I in church, but there is a you. And Paul is reminding us, the church, that the church needs you. The church is not built on the shoulders of the minister 
or the select few who are capable, but it's dependent on each of us doing our part. Friends, in our passage today, Colossians 4, verse 2 to 18, Paul is ending his letter to the church in Colossae, and he has one final reminder for them. The reminder is this. The work of the gospel is a team effort. The work of the gospel is a team effort. And the Apostle Paul tells us it requires each of us to be involved in three different areas. Number one, praying for the work of the gospel. Praying for the work of the gospel. Second, personally witnessing to those who don't know Christ. Personally witnessing to those who don't know Christ. And third, participating as a fellow servant in the Lord. Participating as a fellow servant in the Lord. Let's have a look at the first of our three areas, shall we? Uh, Number one, praying for the work of the gospel, looking at verses two to four together. Uh, Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Uh, What is Paul saying here? Uh, Paul is saying here, we need to be praying. The Christian needs to be praying. That we should be praying without ceasing. The Christian life is built on prayer. Can you guys remember back to our first sermon? When Paul says to those in Colossae that he and those that are with him have not ceased in praying for them. Paul and those that are with him have built their life around prayer. And Paul is inviting the church to join them. And not just praying for those in Colossae, but praying for the gospel. I think back to our first sermon with me, where we were reminded that Paul is praying for the work of the gospel. He gives praise and thanks to God for the message that has been received by those in Colossae. And he tells us this same gospel message is being made known to the whole world. I can imagine that Paul is saying to those in Colossae, is saying to us, pray. Pray for the work of the gospel. Pray that the gospel would continue to reach those who have not yet heard. Pray that the gospel, the complete work of Christ, would not only increase in the world, but that Jesus would continue to work in the lives of his church, growing them in maturity and equipping them to stand firm in the faith. And we are told, while we are praying, to be watchful and thankful. What does it mean to be watchful? As we've covered in previous weeks, the church in Colossae is being pressured by those around them to conform. To conform to false teaching. And they are feeling the pinch. And their faith may be wavering. Our friends, until the Lord Jesus returns, 
The church is going to be met with pressures to conform. And there will be those around us who will feel the pinch and may give up the faith and deny Christ. One of the ways that people will feel the pinch is through Christian persecution. Where Christians, perhaps here in Australia, will soon be facing not just fines, but standing firm in their convictions, standing firm in their faith, but also imprisonment. And I think during my lifetime, death. As pressures become more serious on us to conform, we will need to stay watchful. We will need to stay alert. We will need to be vigilant to those around us that will try and lead us away from Christ. When temptations are at our doorstep, when we feel the pinch to conform to those around us, what are we to do? Well, we are to run to Christ. We are to pray. We need to be praying for the church that we will remain rooted in the faith and not waver from the hope that we have in Christ. That we will pray for the continued preaching of the gospel. That the gospel will be continued to be preached here in churches. That it will be taught in schools. Shared amongst friends, families, and co-workers. And when the pressure to conform gets more difficult... We need to be praying more. We need to be depending on God more. As we pray for the work of the gospel, we need to be watchful for those that will attack our faith. But also, as we pray, we are to be thankful. Thanking our Father for what Christ has done for us on that cross. Thanking Him for what Christ is continuing to do in our lives. And thanking Him for what Christ will do when He returns. Our friends, let's remind ourselves the Gospel message. The Gospel message is the complete work of Christ. What He has done, what He is doing, and what He has promised He will do. On that cross, Christ took the punishment for sin. On that cross some 2,000 years ago, Christ died the death that was meant for us. Friends, our sin, if not dealt with, gives us a one-way ticket to hell. But Christ, in His great mercy, took the punishment for sin. Our sin was nailed to that cross with Christ. All our sins, past, present, and future, were paid for by Christ's death. Christ is now continuing to work in our lives. Christ is transforming us. He's maturing us. In Christ, we have put on the new self. We are no longer living for our sin, being controlled by it. But now we are unable to live for Christ in whom we find fulfillment and life. Christ has also promised us that that He will come back. Friends, the hope that we fix our eyes on is the return of Christ. When He comes back, all those that are united to Him 
will experience life. He will raise us up on that last day and we will spend eternity with God in the new heavens and the new earth. We will dwell with God, with Him. There will be no more tears, no more pain, no more suffering, no more death, no more sin. Friends, this is the hope we have been promised in Christ. Thank God, our Father, for what has been made known to us in the gospel message which we have received. Friends, we are to be praying for the work of the gospel. And we are to be praying that God will make opportunities for us to share the gospel. Here in our passage, Paul asks for prayer that God will give them opportunities to make Christ known to those who don't know it. And this is what we need to be praying for also. When we pray, we need to be praying for the growth of the gospel. We need to be praying that God will give us opportunities to make the mystery of Christ known to those who don't know it. Friends, when we pray for the growth of the gospel, we need to be praying that God will give us opportunities to make the mystery of Christ known to those who don't know it. That people will know that fulfillment and life are not found in the created things of this world, but they are found in Christ alone. The challenge from the Apostle Paul is to join in the task of praying without ceasing to be praying for the work of the gospel. I don't know about you guys, but there are times when I can find it hard to pray. Sometimes it feels like taking out the trash. It's a chore that needs to be done, but sometimes done with loathing and zero interest. Have you ever felt that? Do you find it also hard to pray? And Paul has now just exhorted us to pray, to be praying without ceasing. Why do we find it hard to pray sometimes? I think it comes back to our old sinful selves. We want to hold on to our former ways of life, our old selves, when we're just worried about me. And no one else. But just like Paul exhorts us to remove the old self, which contains all forms of idolatry, all forms of wicked behavior, we're also told here to remove our selfish ways. With Christ's help, we need to be changed and transformed by Him. That we are no longer thinking about ourselves, but thinking about others. We need to be putting off the old self and start putting on the new. We need to stop stop thinking about ourselves, but start thinking about the church. There is no I in church. So let me ask you, can you be praying for the church? Can you be praying for those around you that they will be rooted and grounded in the faith? Can you be praying for the work of the gospel? That the mystery of Christ will be known to those who don't know it. 
that those who are still in darkness will by God's grace learn that fulfillment and life are found in Him. Can you do that? Can we do that? The work of the gospel requires a team effort and requires us to be praying, praying for the work of the gospel. And the second thing that is then asked of the church is to be interacting with those around them. The church needs to be personally witnessing to those who don't know Christ. The church needs to be personally witnessing to those who don't know Christ. Uh, friends, I think there's a trap that we can find um, ourselves in all too often. And that is the trap of forming holy huddles. How often have we found ourselves filling up our week with so-called Christian activities? Church on Sunday, theology class on Tuesday, Bible study on Thursday, lunch catch-up with a Christian friend on Friday, family round for church from church on Saturday, dinner on Saturday... Lather, rinse, repeat. And by doing so, to cram in the idea of inviting our non-Christian friend, our non-Christian neighbor, our non-Christian workmate, sounds all around for a meal almost sounds like a chore we don't want to contend with. Friends, the church is not meant to be inward-focused, but outward-focused. We need to be interacting and building relationships with those around us. In verse 5, the Apostle Paul is exhorting us to walk in wisdom with those around us. He is expecting us to be interacting with those who don't know Jesus. Here in our translation in verse 5, it says, Make the most of every opportunity. Um, in the original Greek, it could be translated as it is a good use of your time. That it is a good use of your time to be interacting with those who don't know Jesus. Why? Because Jesus will one day come back. And until then, we need to be sharing. We need to be proclaiming the work of Christ. Some of you may be asking at this point, how are we meant to do that? How are we meant to proclaim Christ to those around us? Over the last few weeks, we've been going through the book of Colossians, haven't we? And we have been reminded of Christ's work. We have been reminded who Christ is. We have been reminded what Christ has done for us. And what he is continuing to do for us. And what he will do for us. We have been told how we are to live in response to what Christ has done for us. And we need to let what we have learned guide our interaction with those that aren't Christian. How do we interact with non-Christians? Are we meant to be angry with them? Looking for fights and debates on Facebook with them? Making enemies in our workplace? No. No. Verse 6 tells us, let your conversations be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Our friends, it's only by God's grace 
that we have been brought out of darkness and into light. We were once like those who are still living in darkness, living without Jesus. Therefore, when we speak with those who don't know the gospel, we are not to be causing division, but looking at building relationships with them. Um, I was asked recently by someone who was invited to an event that promoted same-sex marriage uh, by their work colleague, and they asked me how they should respond. Uh, I said something on the lines of this. Um, As Christians, we are to stand firm in our convictions, and this means we are not to approve of sin. Uh, To go to a function that promotes sin, whether that is a same-sex rally or a wedding, or even to go to Dark Mofo, an event where they're promoting paganism and Satanism. Uh, To go to an event that is promoting sin, that approves of sin, is to say, I'm okay with sin. I'm okay with you promoting sin. Friends, as Christians, we don't want to be condoning sin. We don't want to be approving of sin. We hate sin. But yet we are called to love the sinner. We are to hate sin but we are called to love the sinner. How do we love those that aren't Christian? Well, I think the Apostle Paul gives us a good list in Colossians chapter 3, verse 12, where we are, shown, we are to show others compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. We have to remember that the person who is trapped in their sin has still been made in the image of God. They have been created and formed by God. They are living in their sin. We hate their sin, but we don't hate them. Once upon a time, that was me. That was you. When we were trapped in our sin, it was by God's grace that we were brought out of that. Are those virtues mentioned in chapter 3, verse 12? Are behaviors that will seek to build relationships with others? And that is what is required of us to do with those that are still trapped in their sin. We are to get to know them, to understand them. For some, we will have to earn the right to be able to speak into their lives. In some relationships, we won't be able to jump straight in and proclaim Jesus. To proclaim Jesus with teaching and warning. If we start too early, in some cases, and just tell people about Jesus as a means of adding another notch to our belts, our friends, we may lose the right to speak to them altogether. Let your words be seasoned with salt. This means being wise when you speak. You are to make the gospel message sound appealing. How do you make the gospel message sound appealing? Will you speak the gospel into their lives, into their context? Uh, For example, um, if I were to speak to a Roman Catholic and I was to speak the gospel to them, through first building a relationship with them, I have learned that they're feeling the guilt of their sin. They are continually having to go to confession, continually having to say the Hail Mary 50 times, and their guilt never leaves them. For this person, it is then speaking the gospel into their lives, letting them know what the Catholic Church has done is a terrible lie. 
Uh, the gospel message is one where we are told that Christ has done all the work. Uh, we don't need to do any work towards our salvation, for Christ has done the work. He has taken all our sins, past, present, and future. They were nailed to that cross. In Christ, you have been made spotless. You have been made whiter than snow. So friends, can we do this? Can we be interacting with those around us? Can we be making a good use of our time and building relationships with our neighbours, our work colleagues, and others whom God has put in our path? Uh, can I challenge you to build meaningful relationships with them? Um, if you're in a position where you haven't got any non-Christian friends or very few around you, uh, then let me challenge you this. Let me challenge you to join some social activity in the community, like a book club, or perhaps some social sport, or maybe even a walking group that is pram-friendly. To be building relationships within our community is a good use of your time. And as you build relationships, be wise. Let your words be seasoned with salt when appropriate, whether early on or after a few months of building relationship with them. Look for ways you can be sharing the gospel. Look for ways you can be sharing your faith. And by all means, be praying for those opportunities. Pray that God will open a door for the gospel to be shared. And the work of the gospel is not placed on the shoulders of any one single individual. But it is a team effort. Friends, we have to be praying for the work of the gospel, that the gospel will be continued to be proclaimed to those who don't know it. We had to pray that Christ will still work powerfully in the lives of his people, maturing them and growing them to stand rooted in the faith. And the church needs to be interacting with those around them. We need to be personally witnessing to those who don't know Christ. And lastly, we need to be participating as a fellow servant in the Lord. We need to participate as fellow servants in the Lord. Friends, in chapter 4, verses 7 to 18, the Apostle Paul gives us a list of people who are fellow laborers in the field. Those that are continuing to preach, to pray, to support, and to continue the work of the gospel. Paul is saying here that the work hasn't fallen on his shoulders alone, but there are some people with him who are helping, who are continuing in the work. And here are some of the people that those in Colossae can seek out and ask questions of. Here are some people they can trust. And here are some people who can be role models to them. Our friends, over the next few minutes, I want to look at some of these traits and qualities of these co-workers of Paul. And I want to challenge us to adopt some of these traits and qualities also. That we too can be a role model to those around us. Um, there's a lot of people in this list, and we aren't going to cover all of them. But I do want to pick out three. Artichicus, Aristarchus, and Epaphras. Artichicus, we know from other sections of the Bible, is a companion of Paul. 
Uh, for example, in the book of Acts, in chapter 20 and 21, he is mentioned as a travel companion. In our letter, uh, we learn that Tychicus, along with Onesimus, was going to share with the church what has been happening to the Apostle Paul and their co-workers. And they were also to encourage the church. It is considered that Tychicus and Onesimus were not just going to give the letter to the Colossians, but also provide a commentary to flesh out what Paul is saying. I can almost imagine the the two of them running an eight-week Bible study with the church. Uh, reminding the church what, what Jesus has done and exhorting them to continue to live their lives for Christ. Uh, some of the traits and qualities we see in Tychicus is that he is a beloved brother. He is a faithful servant and a fellow servant in the Lord. Uh, this is someone who has been useful to Paul, someone who was close to him like a brother, someone who has also served Christ faithfully, Uh, He is not one who has wavered in his faith, but remains rooted and grounded in Christ, despite persecution that Paul, he, and others have experienced. Uh, He has not fallen away. Uh, In verse 10, we are told about another person, um, Aristarchus, who sends greetings to the church, and who is in prison with Paul. Uh, We learn from the book of Acts that Aristarchus, was a travel companion of Paul. In Acts 19 and 20, we are told that he was there with Paul in Ephesus. And from our passage in Colossians, he is more than just one who is a beloved brother of Paul, but a fellow prisoner. One who has not abandoned Paul, but he has even served time with Paul in prison. And then there is finally Epaphras who we were introduced at the beginning of Colossians in chapter 1, verse 7, where we were told that he is a fellow servant and a faithful minister of Christ. Here we are also told in verse 12 to 14 that Epaphras is also one who is praying for the church. He is an example of someone who is praying for the spread of the gospel and that those in Colossae, Laodicea, Heropolis, will be grown in their understanding and love for Christ. Um, Epaphras has also been shown to be someone who has taken the gospel to others and is continuing to take the good news of Jesus to those who have not yet heard it. Our friends, in these three examples, uh, we see people who are faithful to the word, that will stand firm despite persecution, in the case of Aristarchus, even to the point of imprisonment. They are fellow workers who proclaim Christ, who teach the Word of God and explain it. They are people who are praying, praying continually, depending on God that Christ will continue to grow His church. And not only in number, but in maturity. They are also participating in the work and interacting with those that don't know it. They are showing each of us what it means to be part of the team who proclaims the gospel message of Jesus Christ. For the work of the gospel is not meant to be done by a select few. It is to be done by the church. The work of the gospel is a team effort.
Our friends, here is our challenge. To be part of the work in promoting the gospel. Friends, be praying for the church. Be praying that the church will grow in maturity, that they will stand firm in the faith despite pressures to conform to those around them. Be praying that the gospel message will be proclaimed boldly within churches, at schools, and within our social interactions. Be personally witnessing to those who don't know Christ. It's a good use of your time. Who can you build relationships with? Is there someone in your class? Is there someone at your work? Perhaps you need to join some social activity within the community and start making some non-Christian relationships. It's a good use of your time. And lastly, be a role model to those around us. Be someone that others can see as a faithful servant of Christ. Be someone that can be praying for the church and be someone that is willing to share the gospel with others. I'm not asking you to become a preacher or a missionary, but I am challenging you to be part of the team in carrying out the work of the gospel. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, Our Lord, we thank you for that we can rest in the fact that you will be building your church, that it may be us that plant the seed, but it is ultimately you who makes it grow. We thank you, Father, that you use us, though, as means and tools of making Christ known. We thank you, Father, how you have used others to proclaim Christ to us, that you have made it possible through them that we, too, may be united and reconciled back to yourself, that we know that in Christ there is fulfillment, that in Christ there is life. Our fathers, we pray now that you would help each of us to participate in this gospel work. As someone shared the gospel with us, help us also be praying for the work of the gospel. Help us to be personally witnessing to those who don't know Christ, to share the good news of Jesus with those who don't know it. Our Father, we pray, help each of us to be fellow co-workers in declaring Christ to the whole world. Equip us, we pray, daily, by reminding us who Christ is and what he has done for us. And we just pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.